In the current culture of division, it's hard to imagine a single person so admired that he could unite the entire world. How will the Antichrist do it? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares his thoughts as he takes a closer look at the mysterious figure who will be center stage during the tribulation. To introduce the conclusion of his message, The Beast from the Sea, here's David. And thank you for joining us. Who could have known that uh, when this was all being taught on the radio, uh, we'd be uh, watching a war uh, take place in another part of the world? I'm not going to draw too many conclusions about that war and its relationship to what we're discussing, but it certainly is a reminder to us of what Jesus said, that in the end days, there will be false Christs and wars and rumors of wars. Wars and rumors of wars. That's always been true, but it seems to be intensifying as we move toward the day of our Lord's return. We are going to take um, part two from the beast from the sea today. This is a discussion on the personality of the Antichrist, the one who will come and deceive the whole world. It's right here in the Bible, Revelation chapter 13. You can read that chapter if you want to and discuss it with your friends, but you can also discover that that's what I'm talking about here on the radio every day, right from the Scripture. So we'll finish up what we started yesterday, and then tomorrow we're going to talk about the beast from the earth. He's the partner of the Antichrist, and he's called the false prophet. You'll see why when we open our Bibles again tomorrow here on Turning Point. Right now, let's finish up what we started yesterday as we put a period at the end of this discussion about the Antichrist, the beast from the sea. Here in our nation, the one restraining influence that holds back all hell from breaking loose in our culture are godly men and women who stand in important places and say no. But one day they'll all be gone and the Holy Spirit will be gone. The restrainer will be removed. Now the Bible says when the restrainer is removed and the lawlessness and apostasy happens, then this one called the Antichrist will be revealed. Could the Antichrist be alive somewhere today? Absolutely. Because he's not going to be revealed as a child. He's going to be revealed as a grown-up. Since we believe the rapture could happen at any time, and if immediately after the rapture the Antichrist is revealed, he could be growing up someplace right now, probably in Europe, and in his preparation for that moment when he will walk out on the stage. Now, what is this guy like? What is the Antichrist like? Well, the Bible, while I've said doesn't tell us who he is, it tells us a lot about him. First of all, his personality. Revelation 13, 5, if you still have your Bibles open there, we are told that he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. Daniel says that he will be boastful and will speak pompous words against the Most High. Now, take all of those phrases and put them all together and shake them up, and what comes out is... The Antichrist is going to be an impressive orator. He is going to be able to sway people by his personal presence, and I believe he will use television in an incredible way. And we haven't had much of that in our time. I mean, we've had John F. Kennedy, who was certainly a better-than-average orator. We've had Ronald Reagan, who was very good. And I remember some years ago, somebody gave me a video. It was old and scratchy. 
but I think it was somebody doing a representation of what it was like when Hitler got in front of people. And they said that Hitler was a massively successful orator. He would gather great crowds of people and he would begin to speak very softly so that everybody would lean in and little by little he would speak louder and louder until he'd get to the end of his speech he would be screaming and the people would be on their feet screaming in response to him. Well, you take Hitler and Ronald Reagan, John F. Kennedy and Barack Obama, you put them all together and double it about four or five times and you will have something of what it will be like when this man of sin takes his place on stage and begins to address the people of the world. He will be an incredibly gifted speaker. The Bible tells us also that he will be very attractive. Daniel says in Daniel 7.20 that his appearance was greater than his fellows. In other words, he was impressive. Have you ever been in the presence of an impressive person? You just walk into their presence and you know, something happens. They walk into a room and everything changes. I believe he will be extraordinarily handsome. I think he's probably going to be very tall, even though he comes from Europe. God can do that. The Bible says he's also going to be a man of great intellect. Daniel describes him as somebody who understands sinister schemes and through his cunning shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. This is going to be some kind of an impressive guy. We wonder how in the world such a thing could happen, but it will, and he will be just what this old sinful God-rejecting world will be looking for. Someone to make the pain go away and give them some hope. Now he has a plan. His plan is, according to Daniel, to come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. Very perceptive terms. The Antichrist will begin as one of many minor political leaders tracked very little attention at first, but gradually grasping more and more power. His plan is to defeat all of the other world leaders and eventually take over the world through whatever means is necessary, first by deceit and intrigue and later by force. And he will be very prideful. The Bible tells us that he opens his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven once he has the ear of the people and they begin to talk about all of the missing folks who are gone, supposedly gone to heaven, the Antichrist will take the opportunity to blast heaven with his words. Not only blasting God, but blasting his law and his love and his plan and his family and his son. He will just pour out his wrath against the God of heaven. That's what the Bible says. He will strip anything away that has to do with religious structure, history, or stability in starting his own religion. He will endeavor to obliterate God. It would be his goal that every church will be turned into a restaurant or a mosque or something other than what it is today. If you want an illustration of what it will be like today in Iraq, if you do not fall down and bow to Islam, you're given a choice to either leave the country, pay a huge tax and stay in the country, or be killed. You either do it this way or you die. 
That will be the mentality during this period of the tribulation all over the world. Now he will use his cunning to form a peace treaty. You heard me talk about that in the drama. Daniel 9.27 says he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. Let me just tell you that in the book of Daniel the word week here is a week of years, not a week of days. This is a week of years, seven years. The Antichrist will come to the people in Israel surrounded by their Islamic enemies and say, I can fix this. If you will trust me, I will make a peace treaty with you to protect you from all of the enemies around you. This is a seven-year treaty. Because of the treaty, Israel will once again feel like they can relax. Unfortunately, they will let down their military readiness. They will turn all of their energy into building up their cultural improvements. They will refurbish and rebuild the Jewish temple. But the Bible says halfway through the seven-year treaty, Daniel 9.27 says it this way, in the middle of the week, if a week is seven years, how long is the middle of the week? Three and a half. He will bring an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abomination be the one who makes desolate. In other words, right in the middle of the tribulation when Israel has let down its guard, the Antichrist will come in and he will go into the temple as we'll see in a few moments. He will defile the temple and he will cause the Israelis no longer to be allowed to worship. He will cause sacrifice and offerings to cease. And then in verse 7 we are told about his persecution. It was granted to the Antichrist to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe and tongue and nation. Remember, we talked about how he gained control over them through his licensing approach. When the peace treaty with Israel is broken, all hell will break loose on this earth. And this will usher in the last half of the tribulation, normally referred to as the Great Tribulation. Daniel describes it this way. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. And in 824 he said, He shall destroy fearfully, shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and all the holy people. The Bible tells us that at this particular time, everything on this earth will be as bad as you can ever imagine. Massive beheadings will be nothing compared to the torture and persecution and the hateful conduct of these emissaries of Satan. And how do they do this? The Bible tells us about his power. Second Thessalonians 2.9 we are told the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Powers, signs, and wonders are all words which we ascribe to Jesus. But here we are told these are powers, signs, and lying wonders. In other words, they're not really wonders. They just appear to be. They're deceitful wonders. The Antichrist deception will be so sweeping that people will be unable to believe the truth. And there are going to be two events that will take place almost simultaneously with the breaking of Antichrist treaty with Israel. First of all, the Antichrist will kill the two witnesses who are on this earth. We learned about them earlier, so I won't talk about that anymore. But he will execute them. He will see that they are annihilated. We read about that in the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation. Here's what it says. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit 
will make war against them, talking about the two witnesses, overcoming them and killing them. Then the Antichrist will enact his most sensational feat. It will appear that he has been killed. And then, to the astonishment of the whole world, he will be raised back to life by the power of Satan in a grotesque counterfeit of the resurrection. Revelation 13.3 says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. Please notice the careful wording of the scripture. It does not say, I saw one of his heads mortally wounded. It says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. So he deceives the world into believing that he has been killed and then comes back to life. Satan is the great deceiver, but I want to tell you something. He cannot create life. He cannot create anything new. So this is not a genuine resurrection. It is a faked resurrection. And the Antichrist is so profane. The Bible tells us in Revelation, they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? When the Antichrist breaks his treaty with Israel, he will surround Jerusalem with his troops. He will seize the newly constructed temple. And then as one last mockery of God, Satan will install the Antichrist as a god in the temple of Israel. At that point, we are told, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And the false prophet, his associate, will erect an animated image of the Antichrist in the Jewish temple and enable this animated image to speak. He will command the world to worship the image, ultimately fulfilling Daniel's prophecy. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, says Mark, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. I don't know if you're getting this picture, but this one, this Antichrist, will orchestrate the things of the world until ultimately he is placed in the throne room of the Jewish temple and the whole world is required to bow down to him and worship him as if he were the true God of the universe. And those who refuse will be executed. Now that's the story in so many words that is a tutorial on the Antichrist. What's going to happen during the tribulation when one man rules the world? So what happens to this guy? How does it all end? What is a deserving ending for someone who deceives the whole world into such evil? What should become of him? Well, his punishment, according to Daniel 8.25, is defeat. Total and absolute defeat. At the end of the tribulation period, with all of his armies gathered, he is told that the army of Christ is in heaven and on his way to the earth. And he assembles all of his armies together to fight against Jesus Christ and the second coming. We're told Christ is riding on a white horse and all of us who are followers of Christ with the angels will be observing this event. Now what does Jesus do to defeat this evil man? 
Well, Daniel says, he shall rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without any human means. That's a clear statement that no humanity is going to be involved in the destruction of the Antichrist. He's coming against Jesus with his armies. Here comes Jesus on his white horse. And John tells us what happens. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And when the beast comes face to face with Christ, he will meet a swift end. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and with the brightness of his coming. Do you know how hard it's going to be for the Lord Jesus Christ to deal with the Antichrist? Watch this. <laughs> That's it. Now, he is destroyed, he is defeated, but he is not dead. And so the Bible tells us that what will happen is Revelation 19:20 the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image and the two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone did you know that the beast the false prophet and the antichrist are going to be the two first inhabitants in the lake of fire you say, well, don't people go to hell now if they don't believe in God? They go to Hades or to Sheol or wherever. One day, the Bible says, death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire, but not until later. But right now, in the lake of fire, we are told, there is an awaiting for this moment when at the end of this time we've talked about today, the beast Antichrist and the false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire forever. Now, fast forward 1,000 years. 1,000 years after their incarceration in the lake of fire, we are now at the end of the millennium, the kingdom time. The beast and the false prophet will still be alive and in torment. Here's what we read in Revelation 20.10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And the Bible says that all those who ultimately reject Christ will one day join them in this place of torment. Now guys, I got to tell you, a lot of people are okay until I get to this point. But don't be telling me about this place called hell where people are going to be tormented forever and ever. And I don't like the brimstone and fire thing either. So just don't go there. Well, I'm not going to tell you anything that I don't know from the scripture. And I know what the Bible says about hell. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And let me just tell you that, that you can argue about all the shit you want to. You can say, well, I don't believe that. I don't... And, how many of you know that whether you believe something or not does not make it true? Some people that I know, they really think this is, since I don't believe it, then it's not true. Come on. Here's what I can tell you after all my research about this. Here's what I can tell you about this place. Are you ready? You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. And you don't have to go there. 
Believe whatever you want to believe about how awful it is or however you want to tim it down. It's not a place where you want to be because more than all of the fire and brimstone and all the rest is, number one, you live forever and ever in total isolation and without any opportunity to know God or rectify anything that you've done in the wrong in the past. Once you die and you go to hell, you can never correct the problem. It is frozen forever and ever with no hope of recovery. So it's not a place you want to go. It's not a place you want to even think of going. How many of you know you don't want your loved ones to go there either? Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to happen someday. As sure as I'm standing here, as sure as you're sitting where you are, one of these days, the rapture is going to happen. There'll be a voice, the Bible says, and a shout, and the archangel, and then the dead in Christ, those who died as Christians, will be caught up to be with the Lord. And the Bible says, and those of us who are alive and remain, we will be caught up together with them, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And we'll be in heaven when all these things I've talked about today are going on down here on this earth. But we'll only be in heaven if we make preparation to be there. And the only way you can do that is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, by saying, Lord Jesus, I do believe that you are the Savior of the world, and I want you to be my Savior, and I invite you into my heart, and I ask you to forgive my sin, and I confess that you are my Savior. When you make that decision, you get on the invite list to go up to heaven when Jesus comes back. But if you've never done that, you will remain on this earth to live through all of the anguish and torment that I've talked about. You talk about hell, don't even go there. What goes on on this earth will be so bad, you will not believe what's going to happen. Here's the good news. You don't have to experience any of that. This is not a scare tactic on my part. I'm, that's not, I'm not into that stuff. You all know that. What I'm telling you is the truth. This is what the book says. If I didn't tell you that, I'd be a deceiver. I'd be a false prophet. Here's what the book says. Here's what God has said to us. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can go to heaven. And if you should die before the Lord comes back, you will go to heaven immediately. But you have to make the decision in the here and now. Somebody told me one day, well, I'm going to wait and when I hear the sound if, if it really happens. And I, no, you are not quick enough. And the Bible says when that happens, the people who don't believe will be hardened. They'll be hardened even more against the truth. So let me just urge you, my friends. I'm your friend. I have no other motive in this except to tell you I want you to be in heaven. I want you to go to heaven. I don't want you to experience the awful things on this earth and the ultimate judgment of eternity without God. You can make the decision to go to heaven and be in heaven forever and ever. Amen. And, uh, you know, during this series of prophetic messages, there is a tremendous sense of urgency in my heart to let you know that these are in the Scripture as a reminder to us that the future is coming and the future will be defining. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you will not go to heaven. And that that's a sad thought for any of us, no matter who you are. And I don't know you. I just know 
that my hope and my desire for you is that you will make your peace with God, that you will invite Jesus Christ into your heart, and you will become a Christian so that you can be caught up with the rest in the rapture and be in heaven when the things we're discussing right now are unfolding on the earth. Ask Jesus to come into your heart today. He will hear you. He will respond to you. You can become a new person before this day is over. And then don't forget to join us tomorrow as we take the first of two messages on the false prophet. You've probably heard of the sign 666, the sign of the beast, and most people think the Antichrist is the one responsible for that, but that's not true. The false prophet is the one who manages all of that in behalf of the Antichrist. And if you want to know more about the mark of the beast, it's the beast from the earth who um, puts this all into play. And I hope you'll join us tomorrow as we begin to discuss that. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we'll see you next time right here on This Good Station. Our message today came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. Will you share with us how Turning Point is helping you in your daily walk? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta BC, V4L 2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. David's new resource that reveals the meanings of numbers in Scripture. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Signs right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. Do you wish you had a better grasp of Bible prophecy? Then you'll love Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Grow in your understanding of end times events and discover what the numbers and prophecy mean. This fascinating book is yours with the gift of any amount this month and give $70 or more to receive this book plus two other answer books that will help address your most pressing questions about end times and Bible prophecy. Find out more at davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. Available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca jsb. 
The famous Anglo-Irish writer Jonathan Swift once said that we should never be ashamed to admit our mistakes. It is just another way of saying that we are wiser today than we were yesterday. The Bible would add another thought to Mr. Swift's excellent observation. The book of Proverbs says that not everyone is willing to learn from his mistakes. Some people persist in making the same bad choices over and over and suffering the painful consequences. Proverbs calls those folks foolish instead of wise. The wise person says, that experience was costly and painful. With God's help, I purpose to make wiser choices in my life. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's wisdom on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.